happen. Um, <clears throat> might be the year, huh? <laughs> Let's hope not. A <laughs> um, couple of months ago, I um, started a two-part series. That's about as long as the series as I can seem to come up with these days. Um, and we began talking about this theme that runs through the Bible, uh, a theme uh, of the promise of God, that God makes this promise that I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. And um, underneath that promise uh, runs a couple of corollary themes that without that the promise would be impossible because there's no way that you know, um, an almighty God can live in the midst of a sinful people uh, without this thread of uh, redemption that runs through the Bible also. So there's this scarlet thread of redemption that runs through the Bible where God is a redeemer and through sacrifice is able to um, dwell in the midst of his people. Um, to quell his wrath against our sin. And and then, how can we as a people dwell with a holy, um, mighty God um, with any kind of peace or rest uh, unless, you know, the Lord um, gives a way for that to happen? And so, there's also a theme that runs through the Bible about the rest of God. And God is kind of the one that... Um, Begins to uh, set the example with that in 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 that in the seventh day it says that God rested from all His works, um, and then He kind of lays out you know a way for us to emulate that example by um, giving us the commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, and so as you read through the Bible you see that. Um, one of the reasons for the Sabbath was that it was for a time of refreshing. It was a time of being before the Lord, to be refreshed in the Lord, and to be with the Lord's people, to be refreshed by His people. Um, he also you know, makes provision for there to be rest in the land. Um, this is all kind of review of what we talked about a couple of months ago. And, and he promised the people that he would give them a, a promised land where they would be able to rest in him. And um, so what I want to do today is kind of pick up, I don't know, how many of you read your assignment two months ago, Hebrews chapters 3 and 4? That's what I thought. So. I did it back then. Back then, there you go. Great, thank you. So, um, as I was just kind of waiting before the Lord today and about today's message, um, you know, I just, I just felt like he kind of said, I'd like for it to be a discussion. So, I'm going to kind of lead that discussion. We're going to kind of read through chapters 3 and chapters 4 of Hebrews. If you want to turn in your Bible to that, um, that particular passage, um, I'd like to kind of read that and make some some of my own personal comments, but also just to kind of hear what the Lord's saying to you, because I, in some ways I kind of feel, you know, as we're talking about, and, and we always tend to do this this time of the year, what's next for 2014? 
and just from the prayers and things that have already been said, I believe this is one of the things that the Lord really wants us to walk in more fullness in. And that's that's this invitation to rest in Him. Uh, you know, it was a commandment. You know, there's a, the, the, the people of Israel were to, to honor the Sabbath. They were also to... Um, let the the fields lie fallow in the seventh year, and then in the in the fiftieth year there was to be a year of jubilee. All this is something that points to something greater than the rest that they were to experience. And so we're going to kind of look at that today because the rest he promises us is a is a different rest than rest in a land. Um, so if you turn in your Bible to that. Um, I'm going to read through and then we'll make some comments about it. I'm going to actually start because in chapter 2, the last verse, because um, the last verse of chapter 2 really helps you get through the last part of chapter 4. So starting in verse 18, and just I'll read through the end of chapter 3. <coughs> For since he himself, which is talking about Christ, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Isn't that a comfort for us? Uh, One thing about the book of Hebrews is interesting. It's not necessarily a story book, but if you're you're a person that likes logic, it's a wonderful book because... um, what it does, it, it basically pulls things from the Old Testament, makes a statement about it, and then gives a New Testament application. So it's pulling these puzzle parts of, of, of themes in the Old Testament and then, and then kind of completing that puzzle um, with an explanation of its fulfillment in Hebrews. And so what happens is a statement will be made, an example will be given, and then there'll be a therefore. And so every it, it kind of builds on itself. Twenty-two therefores in the book of Hebrews. So if you like logic, this is your book. It's a, it's a it's, it just continues to build on itself and put the puzzle together of how the Old Testament really is a shadow of the New Testament. Starting in verse three, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me, and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was angry with this generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, 
and he did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, your, your Bible may say, see to it. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, for, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. It's an interesting chapter. Um, depending on the frame of mind you're in, when you read it, you can kind of be scared or you can be encouraged. Um, I'd like to say we should be encouraged. Uh, it's very interesting because, um, you know, it says, therefore, in verse 7, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and the, the next quote is, is a quote out of Psalm 95 that David wrote. And so, the author of Hebrews is once again emphasizing that the Word of God is the Word of God. He's saying the Holy Spirit says, even though David wrote it. And so he quotes this passage out of Psalm 95, which in that passage identifies what makes God angry. It's an attitude. And so we want to kind of look at that. They couldn't enter his rest because they made him angry. Actually, in the Old Testament, the phrase in New American Standard, uh, in I think it's in Numbers where Moses is recounting this. It says, And God loathed that generation. That's pretty strong language. But then, I, you know, I, I was meditating on this the other night, and I was thinking, He was angry with these people. He loathed that generation, but He fed them every day. The soles of their feet never wore out. What kind of God is that? I mean, when I'm angry, I'm angry. You know, and I'm not going to give any favors to anybody. So, God is an amazing God. And even in His anger, He is a covenant-keeping God that will not go back on His part of the covenant. So, why was He angry with these people? Well, the author kind of identifies that it's an attitude. And it's an evil unbelieving heart now we can talk about unbelieving hearts you know but we usually don't put that other word in front of it too much do we you know, but that's how God sees it when, when there's unbelief in our hearts it's an evil to him um, so you know there's this thing about attitude is what God is really homing in on here 
And so attitude, uh, one of the definitions I looked up for it says that it's, it's a tendency or a disposition on how you respond. And so their tendency was to be pretty much unresponsive to God, unbelieving, unresponsive. And so what, what history tells us, what psychology tells us, what practical experience tells us that attitudes always tend to lead to behavior. And that's why it says, guard your heart from, from it flow the issues of life. Because if you've got a cynical attitude or you've got a critical attitude or you've got an unbelieving attitude or you've got a I'm a victim attitude, somehow or another, that's going to come out in how you behave. Maybe, you, maybe we can control it for a while, but at some point we will say something or we will behave in a way that gives away what the tendency of our of our attitude and the way that we respond to things are. And so this is kind of what the Lord is really homing in on here in this. So they they were unresponsive, unbelieving, which means they were untrusting, which means that they didn't obey. They were disobedient. And so what happened then is the result was God says... <coughs> Okay, you're not going to enter my rest. And so there was a promised land that was promised to these people. Um, it had been promised long, long time. And here was the generation. Here was the generation that was going to get to actually embrace what God had promised. And the promised land was a place that they were afraid to go into. They were afraid for their children but their children were the ones that went in. And so what the promised land eventually held for them was houses and cities that they didn't build, vines that they didn't cultivate, that the people there did, fields that, that were cleared for them that they didn't have to labor to clear. Um, they inherited riches that they didn't have to work for. It was a land where they could enjoy freedom and they could rest. Um, and so that's what they missed out on, was this rest that was promised to them by God. What's interesting is, you know, it says, you know, here's the attitude, and then the New, Te New Testament application for us is, take care, see to it, that no one has an evil, unbelieving heart. So, no one would be me, no one, and no one would be all of us. And so, it's this kind of thing where I'm responsible for me, but I'm also responsible for no one else as well. And so, it's this, it's this thing of, you know, I can take care of myself, but I need you to encourage me day after day. I need to encourage you day after day. And so, these are kind of the antidotes to having um, an evil, unbelieving heart is that we take care. That means we watch ourselves and that we encourage one another day after day. And so um, our attitude is to be one of what? Responsiveness, the opposite of being unresponsive. And so one of the last questions I'll ask later
for us as for me as an individual, for my family, and for us as a church, is my heart open to God? Now I, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir, but some days it's more open than others. <laughs> you know what I mean? But to enter this rest that we're talking about, there are there are there are stages of rest. There's rest in salvation. There's also rest in sanctification. And so I remember I always remember this because the bill um, said this years ago. What do what do we do to do the works of God? Believe. That's not working. It's just believing, you know. And so sanctification, the work is believing and yielding. That's really what we have to do in sanctification. So we have rest in salvation. Are we resting in our sanctification? And then one day we will rest like Jack and Joyce in God's glorification. But we're in this middle section right now is where we find ourselves. And the question is, is my heart open to God? Well, I don't want to, you know, I want to just say, well, yeah, generally. You know, because he's looking for faithful people. You know, a faithful church that's heart is open to him all the time. So, uh, let's just continue reading. I mean, does anybody have anything out of that that just, it's an aha moment for you. It's like, wow. This really spoke to me this morning as we were reading this chapter. Bill. I did because what I realized in that is that God sees things completely different than what we see things. In the sense that he's saying that his rest is there. Yet the children of Israel had battles ahead of them. Mm-hmm. It's not like they didn't have any battles they were getting ready to go into. No. It, it, they went into battles, hard battles. Battles that they didn't win, battles they did win in the Lord. But that rest was a rest in the Spirit, in what God was doing, and they were following what He was up to. Mm-hmm. That was the rest. Yeah, it's very interesting to read the Bible and because it's kind of written from God's perspective. It's His story. It's history. And so if you read the Bible about those battles and then you read as Moses summarizes that in Deuteronomy, he says, and the Lord delivered us and gave us the land. God's perspective is, I won the battle. He won the battle, but they did the fighting, you know. And so um, I think that's one of the things that that they needed to rest in his word and his promise. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're inactive. It's not that kind of rest. God rested from his works of creation, but he certainly has not been inactive from that time forth. He's been very active. So it, it's it, it's a little bit different concept. Anybody else, Julie? The, the last verse. Uh, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Um, also, immediately brought to my mind where in one of the um, gospels it says, and Jesus was able to do no miracles there because of their unbelief, mm-hmm. and that 
God is the one who does the work. But as you just said, we are we are called to responsibility of believing in God and, and acting and walking with Him and walking out what He says that mm-hmm. we just don't sit and mm-hmm. lazily go down Lazy River and watch mm-hmm. God do everything. We have to walk in faith and believe. Yeah. I remember reading a book by Oz Guinness called The Call years ago. Actually, he taught it as Sunday school lesson for Jessica and Jason uh, when they were all in high school. And he defined the word responsible as the ability to respond. And you don't have that until God gives us that first deposit of faith. And from that point forward, we have the ability to respond to God. And so it's a matter of keeping our heart open to that. And then in the response, you know, the attitude has to be, I'm trusting Him. Because the things He calls us to do comes out of who He is, which is His goodness. You know, Moses said, show me your glory. And He says, I'll let all my goodness pass before you. And so um, if the things that God says to you when you hear His voice... You got to know. You got to be convinced that it's coming from a God who only wants get wants goodness for you. Anybody else? Yeah, Lisa. Um, what's kind of jumped out at me is verse twelve. It talks about um, an evil, unbelieving heart, mm-hmm. and how so often I associate evil as being outward acts. Yet God sees, I guess just the unbelief as evil. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I struggle with faith, but I never really think of it as being evil. But to God, that's evil. Mm-hmm. So just of encouraging myself to, to, when I hear God speak, to be faithful to do it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he considers that evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine's a little different. I've been thinking about who do you trust? You know, and we all want heroes and we want people that we can aspire to and look up to. And so many times all of our dreams are crushed by you, know, you can't trust a congressman and you can't trust judges necessarily. You can't trust the police chief and you can't trust the president and you can't trust the bankers and you can't trust the businessmen. Or everybody's out to get you. and and our culture has become this cesspool of skepticism, you know. And so we don't trust anybody. And so then the first verse in, in 2.18, for he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So I begin to see a, a little ray of light mm-hmm. about this one. This one's different. Mm-hmm. And then the first, the first half of chapter 3, he's talking about how Moses... It was this great man of God. I mean, he's a great servant, this faithful servant. But then he says that Jesus is more worthy of glory than Moses. And although Moses was faithful as a servant, Jesus is faithful as a son. And so he's he's presenting the case where, well, M- Moses was great a great hero, and you could trust what Moses said. But Jesus is so much above. Oh, here's, this is a real. I could trust him. I could, and see, trust gives us relates into how do you have rest without trust, right? Mm-hmm. So rest 
mm-hmm. flows out of the, we're in a place where I can trust this new land, this protection. I can trust this. And then, I don't know that I've ever really noticed this verse before, 3.14, after the part about an evil, unbelieving heart. For we have come to share in Christ. I mean, think about that. Yeah, mine says partakers, but it's the same. We partake of Christ and share in Him. Well, that's the only place you can have rest. Mm -hmm. The one that's greater than every other. The one who suffered temptation just like we have. Who knows our condition. And yet it's greater. Well, he says we can share in Him if we hold our confidence to the end. You know, I thought about Jack Irvin. You know, Jack was confident in Christ. You know, Joyce was confident in Christ, and we saw that. We witnessed that. Jana was confident in Christ. Mm-hmm. And we've had these examples laid out here before us. Um, and they share in Him. You know, that's what God is showing me this morning. Is that's the answer is to hold the original confidence firm until the end. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now Moses was a servant in the house and he led the people to the promised land, mm-hmm. up to the promised land. Jesus was a son over the house and he led everyone who would believe into the promised land. So obviously he's much greater and deserves much more. <coughs> Preston, I have a yeah. question regarding uh, more of your knowledge on rest. Mm-hmm. It seems like it may be used in more than one way. I know from a human perspective, I think in kindergarten we understand what the word means. That from a godly perspective, it's interesting to think of God taking a rest as in a rest break, <laughs> which obviously he did not need. And, and for him, to create the universe would not be work as in expiring ATPs, but mm-hmm. um, but but yet there is this model that you are emphasizing that mm-hmm. shows us in human terms that we need to rest. I think from exerting energy, but also rest in our knowledge and belief in Him. But I find it interesting, just in my reading of uh, creation, of how. God rested at the end of his time of work. And I wondered, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. It's interesting in some of the stuff that I read, though, that a lot of the Hebrew scholars see the seventh day as open-ended and continuous because all the other days are bookended with, and there was morning and there was evening, the X day. Except when you get to day seven, there was no, it's not bookended at all. And so... A lot of the scholars just take that to mean that it's a continual place of rest over his created works. That I guess to use a, a earthly word, now he just manages it and watches over it. But I mean, he's still active in the affairs of men, you know. Um, and so that kind of gets us into chapter four, um, and it's kind of an interesting because there he does. He does prescribe this time of earthly rest. You know, 
The Sabbath was a time to keep holy, in other words, set apart, because refreshing should come from um, the presence of God as we praise Him in, in, in the fellowship of the saints. And so, you know, there's, there's a, a rest, even though we may go home somewhat tired sometimes and need to take a nap, we should be refreshed you know, within our soul and our spirit from having worshipped God and been together as, as, as the church family. Let, let's keep reading and we'll get into this rest thing a little bit more at this particular point. Um, so starting, let's back up to verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, let us fear... Well, isn't that kind of interesting? I I read that and I thought, okay, you're encouraging me, and then it's let us fear. But think about it. These people saw God move in ways we've never seen Him move. And they had an evil, unbelieving heart. Look how many things they saw God do. Now, we've had reports this morning, you know, but they all together saw God's works over and over and over, you know, in, in their delivery out of Egypt and then in his provision for for manna and water and all these times, you know, their whine, complain, rebel against him. So are we above them, really? They've seen a whole lot more of God than we have. So let us fear while the promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David after so long a time, just has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his, God's rest, has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Let me stop right there. Um, so in here, we have another, what I want to call is an we talked about these antidotes to an evil, unbelieving heart. One of them was this, take care and see to it. In other words, 
we need to give ourselves a regular spiritual health check. You know, are we are we walking in with an open heart? Are we responsive? Are we believing? So that's one. The other is to encourage one another day after day. And then the other thing here is to unite that word with faith. You know, that's why it didn't prove profitable to these people. So once we hear God's voice, we have to unite our faith with that word. And lastly, we need to act on what we know is right. In other words, there are things that we know are, are disobeying God. So the things that we know we need to act on and be obedient in those things. So they go through here and it talks about God's rest from the foundation of the world. And then it says, there remains a rest for the people of God, which would be who? Believers. Believers. And that would be us among those believers, right? And so the big question is, for the one who has entered that rest has himself also rested from his works. So one of the questions I'm going to ask here in just a minute is, are you still working on your works or are you resting from your works? So um, we'll talk about that as we move on here a little bit. But You know, Jesus gave this invitation which we all know in Matthew Come unto me, all you who are what? Weary and heavy laden, and I will give what? Give you rest. To take, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to take something upon ourselves. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek and humble or lowly in spirit, and you shall have rest for your souls um, so we have, we have here God incarnate declaring that he's meek which is basically power under control which I can't imagine the self-discipline it would take to um, only let yourself be transfigured only once in your entire walking life when that kind of power rests within you. And to be humble that you can be sinless, flawless, perfect in perfect fellowship and union with God Almighty and walk upon, walk in the midst of people like us and yet eat with us, wash our feet, die for us that's a pretty humble person you know uh, he took on what God called him to be and so God called him to be a servant called him to be a savior and so humility is really agreeing with who God says you are you know when he says you're his son don't say I'm a worm <clears throat> You're the son. You're one of his sons. When he says that uh, we need to repent, be open to that and don't rebel, but agree with him. Yes, you know, I've, I've, I've done wrong before you, Lord. And so, did you...
it, it seems to me that <coughs> the promises and the guarantees of God are held in tension with the warnings of God. Exactly. It's like today is open-ended. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's no end. Today is constant. Mm-hmm. Today... And because we're told that, you know, that the race never ends. You're supposed to fight the race until the end. Mm-hmm. But you don't give up short of the goal. Mm-hmm. And so this today thing, belief today and unbelief tomorrow, you're in trouble. Right. It's a constant promise of God and an encouragement of God, but there's a constant warning to don't let go. Right. Don't think you've got it made. Don't think that you know, I believed yesterday, I'm okay tomorrow. Right. So it's it's a, it's a real, it's like sovereignty and free will. There's a tension there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's God, he's, you know, of course he's eternal. He's, he's, omniscient he knows everything but he chooses his word his words well because with us bounded by time there's never a time that it's not today so he's really good about choosing exactly the right word to put in the right place and and like greg is saying there there is a tension there because you know we're his house if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end um, then over here again it says we become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end so you know there is this tension here and it kind of it kind of alludes to this perseverance of the saints you know it says be diligent take care see to it let us fear those are those warning things. It's not, you know, we we have been ushered into the kingdom by grace, and we live our life because of grace. But don't let that grace become presumption. Is really, I, I mean, is what I kind of hear God trying to tell us. He knows our frame. He knows the fallen heart and how it is um, constant battle. To stand against that, you know, in our life. Um, so, how do we enter into that rest? One of the things it says to be diligent. We've got to be diligent, okay? And then we get to this next verse that's always thrown out, out of context. The one we all like to think of when we're hoping God's going to do something for somebody else and they'll see the light. So, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Well, disobedience is the result of attitude, okay? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so we have this, some people read it as a threat. There's the Word of God, and it can do all these things. And everything we do is laid bare before the eyes of God. Does that make you kind of stand up and want to kind of straighten up a little bit? But it's, it's really an encouragement when you understand where it is in the Bible. He's talking about entering His rest. And then He gives us this thing right here. This tool to help us enter called the Word of God. What's the Word of God? What does it say it is? It says it's what? Living? Active? Let's just say piercing. We'll use the verbs. It's sharp, but it's piercing. It's living. It's active. It's piercing. And it's what? Able to judge. Do you see that as bad or good? If you... God sees that the tendency of our heart is to be unresponsive. Is it not good for Him to lay that bare before the deceitfulness of sin causes us to slide all the way away? You see, it's good that He can lay bare my heart. Hopefully, early on, and I'm not quenching the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, quenching the Spirit. So, be diligent, be responsive to this precious thing that He's given us that will pierce and lay bare and judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. If it can get me there, then at least my behavior hasn't shown forth. It's just my thoughts and intentions. Oh, to be quick to respond to the piercing, active Word of God. You know, it may be what I read, it may be walking somewhere and something's happened in what I think and it's the Holy Spirit. Is that the voice of God? Person, you shouldn't be thinking that way about that person. You know? Am I going to harden my heart or am I going to right there be open and responsive to God? You know? It's a wonderful thing. The Word of God. Which is the Word of God and the promptings of His Holy Spirit. So, and when those things happen, what does it say we should do? Hold fast our confession. Know that Christ can aid. Go back to verse 2.18. Christ can aid us that can aid those that are being tempted. The, the verse that Bill read earlier. Know that Christ is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Is that encouragement? And then, lastly, draw near to the throne of grace in that time of need. Oh, I've been exposed. Maybe only to God if I've listened early, you know, and it hasn't become behavior then there's a throne of grace that he says, I can draw near to in confidence. 
here I've done something wrong. And he says, draw near in confidence. You know, I can sympathize. I'm able to help. And that's where I think we have this this problem. Is like Greg was saying earlier. There's this tension there. Oh, well, I'm going to go on through with this thought or intent or behavior because God is merciful and full of grace. Now, that moves into presumption. You see? And so, it's learning to respond early to that. And so, today, you know, I'm, I was just thinking everybody kind of shifts gears and looks towards 2014. And I just wrote down a series of questions that maybe you guys can consider um, as you're thinking about 2014. The plans that, the works that have been created beforehand for you, Randy. That's what you're asking for. So you're not about your own works. That's what you want. Number one, is my or, or our as a church is our heart open to God? In other words, are we responsive? Is this my general attitude to God? I am responsive. Am I eager to learn what God wants me to do? And then am I willing to do it? Secondly, um, and I think, Bill, you um, you hit on this. The Israelites had to fight the battles. But God was the one that gave the victory. And the same thing is true with Christ. Christ has made a way where there seemed to be no way and one of the things that they did when they went in and conquered the land is God said, go in and possess the land and conquer the land and destroy the people. So they fell short of that. They didn't root out all the people. They let people stay there. And those people and their gods became a snare. To God's people. And so, God has made a way through Christ for us to walk in a place of victory. Yet, uh, there, there are things in our life, I can say it because there are things in mine and I don't think I'm any different from anybody else, where I haven't claimed victory. I haven't laid hold of all those promises. You know, am I going to just leave them lay? And in those particular areas then I have wars, you know, or I have struggles, or I have whatever. When, when God wants us to go on in and to, and to address and deal with those things, because He's already got the victory, maybe it is work for us, or it is at least activity for us to press through those things. And so, I would just encourage you, are there, are there, are there still enemies in your life where God has given... A, Given the victory, we just need to go in and appropriate it. And then, are you still working your works? And if you are, why? Are you still working to to um, have value? How much more value do I need than being a son of God? There's no other. There's nothing else that can make you more valuable than that. You know, think about that. Do I need do I need position? Do I need to work for position? Do you need a position that is higher than son and more honoring than bride? I don't think so. It's just a matter of keeping these kind of things in the forefront of our mind. It's going to be honoring to be a bride. 
is think that we'll be a bride for eternity. That's kind of a stretch for us guys, I know. And then lastly is just, um, well, he said it three or four times today. As long as it's called today, don't harden your heart. That's what God wants us to be, a people that's open and responsive to Him in the coming year. So, any thoughts or comments on this last chapter? One last scripture that mm-hmm. actually I have up on top of my computer on my desk. And it says something along this line. I can't quote it directly, but it says... If God has shown you the word, it's like a man looking at a mirror mm-hmm. and then turning and forgetting what he looks like mm-hmm. if he doesn't remember <coughs> what he's heard. Mm-hmm. Really striking what you talked about today. Mm-hmm. I want to remember it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like that man yeah. who looked in the mirror and forgot what he looked like. Yeah, we, we, if we're looking at the perfect law of love, which is in that verse, um, we, we have to have an open, responsive heart to that. Yeah. Anybody else? Greg, you look like you want to say something. Nothing ever fine. <laughs> Tell me later then, okay? <laughs> I was just thinking that if I'm walking down with somebody and I'm thinking in my heart, it sure does irritate me, and I hear a voice in my head saying, He irritates me too, it's probably not God. <laughs> it may be. <laughs> but he might say, And you do too, you know? <laughs> Bill, do you have a um, yeah. song you like? To sing?